This is a Pain Information Network. More on addiction. Let's go back and recap what we were talking about. Last episode, we talked about buprenorphine. We aren't substituting one drug for another. What we're doing is actually treating opioid addiction. We also talked about legitimate medical purpose and legitimate medical need and how those are defined not by federal law. It's determined by the community standard, not the DEA. The DEA's role is to make sure the drug is available to enforce its use correctly, as with all controlled substances. Uh, The pharmacist is the distribution arm, and the medical end is defining legitimate medical need as based on patient history, physical examination, and laboratory testing. Okay, so we talked a little bit about um, some other drugs I just kind of threw in there that we could utilize to treat other addictions like alcohol because when you have opioid addiction, right next to it is alcohol, and usually right over to its left is benzodiazepine. we got to look at them all. So, all right, medication-assisted treatment is the use of FDA-approved medications for the treatment of opioid and uh, opiate uh, addiction and substance abuse. So this training increases awareness, uh, learns how to prescribe, and gets you ready for the waiver. And what's necessary for any uh, drug prescribed that is controlled by legitimate medical purpose or need is a patient history, a good one, a physical examination, and laboratory testing. So, of course, there's urine testing. There's probably some blood work. Uh, That's just, I mean, that's probably just the tip of the iceberg. All right, let's talk about alcohol real briefly because um, we need a little review there. There are three FDA-approved oral medications and one injectable, and this is where it's that gray area between opioid addiction, alcohol abuse, and we're going to find common neurobiological markers, I'm sure, uh, that help with the treatment of dependence, prevention, or relapse. So disulfiram, let me start with that one. They they have got to have stopped alcohol. This is a nasty drug. It's been around a while, but it can really work. But if they take it, they'll get sick, 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 sick. And some people that have comorbid diseases like cardiovascular disease, hypertension, poorly controlled diabetes and the like, they're going to get really sick. And it's just one thing you really got to watch because it, when this drug is taken, it uh, allows a buildup of uh, a peraldehyde or uh, a chemical in the central nervous system that just makes you feel terrible. So you have to also watch some other things that people might be taking, like cough syrup. Sometimes they have uh, alcohol in them. So think it through. Always know what you're taking. Always present it to your doctor or healthcare provider. And everybody needs to be on the same page. Absolutely a necessity. Okay, Compressate. All right, these are for dependent individuals or their starting treatment. And they might be abstinent. They don't have to be. Don't give it to people with severe renal impairment and those that have known to have a hypersensitivity, obviously, to the drug. This drug is a little gentler. Okay, now we get into kind of the dual mechanism drug 
uh, naltrexone. Naltrexone is in pills, uh, a recently formulated morphine that has naltrexone in it to, to help with abuse deterrent technology. It's injectable and it's implantable as well. And this is for patients who can who can discontinue drinking. Okay, they can do it on their own for several days before treatment initiation. So, in other words, they're ready to go. Okay, pre-contemplation, contemplation, action. Don't give it to people receiving opioid analgesia. Uh, or any long-term opioid therapy, or else if they're going to have surgery, obviously they're going to need opioids uh, in many situations. You can't give them this. The injectable form can last a month. The implantable form can last many months. It's a it's a neat delivery system, though. It can really save. And the ones that can save are the kids, you know, the ones that are so compulsive and they have poor impulse control and a lot of relapses. So this drug works pretty well with alcohol, too. So there's your options. So that's the uh, crossover, and that's the naltrexone. All right, so what? which one do we select? Well, you got to mutually agree on something, right? And you've got to educate. So to providers out there, all you providers out there, educate. This is a process of informed consent. You, the knowing, are going to teach the less knowing. That's basically it. And so you got to have really good communication. And it, like I said, it doesn't hurt to have a medical alert uh, card, particularly if you're on naltrexone. Now, we gently touched on some of the tools like the CEWA and others uh, that measure withdrawal. It's not, it's not all that particularly important right now to go into that. That may be another discussion. But there are tools out there to help us assess not only readiness, willingness, and where uh, somebody's at on a risk uh, continuum. Don't forget psychosocial treatments. Uh, that really helps adherence to these programs. AA, NA, but it's long-term recovery we're always looking for. All right, so this is what we do. All right, let's start with disulfiram. No alcohol for 12 hours and make sure the breath level is zero or the blood level is zero. Get an EKG if you need to. We mentioned those that are at risk. And, of course, they can't be allergic, and I think it's pretty rare that people are. And then you can, you know, confirm abstinence, and, and you use baselines. Not only do you get the blood alcohol or breath, you get liver function tests, you check their blood counts, and you look at the kidney function. It's really important. All right, how about naltrexone? Get a urine screen, make sure there's abstinence, and they got to be off all their opioids. Um, I would say seven to ten days. Uh, that's probably a good rule of thumb. It's not required that we try oral naltrexone before starting the injectable one, but it's something to think about. Incompressate. Uh, usually it, you want to start it somewhere around five days after alcohol use, and it takes another five days for it to work, and keep it going even if there's a relapse, okay? The goal of medication-assisted treatment is to recover from addiction. That's my dog, Abby. This does not replace one drug for another, but it provides a safe, controlled level of medication to overcome the use of a problem, opioid, and even alcohol. All right, addiction. What is addiction? It's a primary chronic disease of brain reward, motivation, memory, and related circuitry. It's not 
likely to develop in a per- person that's using medication properly. But it can happen. I told you about the two prescription rule. Some predisposed people, it's two prescriptions and they're in trouble. And opioids, this is what they can do. They can slow down breathing, heartbeat. Um, they can make you euphoric. And they just make they make the day less depressing. So that's why people like to use them. It can come from a synthetic form. It can come from a poppy plant. And their genetic structure, you know, the temperament or the situation at home can really put somebody at risk who is possibly an addict. Well... Inability to consistently abstain. That's A. Impairment in behavioral control, impulsivity and the like. That's B. Craving. C. D. Diminished recognition of significant problems. In other words, you can't figure your behavior out. You're acting on emotional uh, uh, vectors and not uh, personal logical ones and then e there's that emotional and i threw that one in there so you know some have claimed that 70 maybe 80 people die every day in the united states from opioid overdose that's a monster number and there's probably two or three million that are addicted at any given given time and and at high risk but once again it's a disease it can't be cured but it can be treated all right Once again, counseling, support, family, it's a family problem. Friends, it's not a sign of weakness, particularly moral weakness. Let's get over that. It's not true that you need just to be strong. It's impossible to be that strong. Anybody that smokes cigarettes knows that you just can't lay them down. And it's hard to grasp in the non-addicted or non-craving individual how tough it is uh, to you know, to beat this uh, thing back, you know, it's a monkey on your back, and this opioid deaths have been rising. Oh, they've just been going up and up and up, despite all the efforts and all the therapies available. There's still barriers. Age eighteen to twenty-five, that's a big number. Eighteen to twenty, that's a big number. Ages twenty-one to twenty-five for alcohol is a big num- <clears throat> number too. But also cocaine and other drugs. Marijuana uh, is a uh, drug that has just pretty much found its resurgence. It's pretty much it's a stupid drug. It, it just makes you stupid. I don't know why people feel they must use it, but 10 to 18 percent of people that use that drug become addicted. It's not a benign drug. And are there many overdoses? Yeah, there are overdoses that relate to death, but there's about 42,000 uh, overdoses that occurred in 2011, and that's a leading cause of injury, death in the U.S., okay? So between age 25 and 64, drug overdoses cause more deaths than motor vehicle crashes. And so you want to look at a preventable disease or a treatable disease once it's started. we got to go for this one. Now, marijuana is, uh, you know, it's ahead of the game. It's There's a lot of e emergency department visits uh, a day. Uh, It's been estimated somewhere around 425 emergency department visits a day, but opioids are right behind there. Uh, Yeah, alcohol, it's up there, but it's behind those two. Benzodiazepines, right behind them. 
and then there's heroin, there's cocaine in that order, methamphetamine, MDMA, and and, and just other other drugs that uh, like Tylenol that people are just overdosing as suicidal gestures. Okay, I think that's pretty good. Um, the next section I'm going to go into is we're going to talk about co-occurring diseases. Yeah, it's co-occurring diseases uh, acknowledge the need for a unified treatment approach. It's integrated. It really helps us understand uh, alcohol use disorder and substance use disorder. And I'll go through that, and uh, we're going to, again, talk about uh, the stages uh, of change model. That's the pre-contemplation, contemplation, et cetera, because I can't emphasize this enough to people. Everybody in life screws up. We all do. I mean, it's just part of living. Addicts are at high risk to overdose and then get treatment, and then there's a relapse. That's okay. We'll just put them back in the stages of change, and it takes treatment. We'll talk about motivational interviewing and how important that is. And then we're going to jump in pretty hard into uh, Suboxone. We're going to talk about how we use this drug in pregnancy and what it means and why we do. And, yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. And I'll talk a little bit about guidelines. So we got a lot ahead of us, but uh, this is a small, as I hear the young kids call it on these podcasts, chunks. We're going to take small chunks, and we're going to break it down so it's understandable for both the provider and the individual out there that's interested in this series. All right. Leave me a review at uh, iTunes, please. Uh, it really helps me rank and subscribe. Um, I'm interested to hear from you and other things you want me to talk about at paininformation.com. Uh, send me an email. Uh, I'll check it out, and I'll see if I can't, uh, can't get your questions answered and get uh, some more information for you. This is an informational station. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.